Oh, praise God. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he is working. And I don't know about you, but uh, that's part of my testimony. Uh, When I look back on my life or look at things even now, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what God is doing, but he's at work. When I, when I look back, then I'm able to see God's handiwork and his fingerprints on the things that have happened in my life. But going through it, 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 it might have been trying. It might have been challenging. And just, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to fall on my face. But when I look back on it, I see that God is the one that was doing all those things in my life. Wow, that's... I don't, like I said, I don't know about you, but hopefully that's your testimony as well. When you look at what God has done over the course of your life, that you can see his fingerprints on it. Uh, as we go through different things, um, one of the things that we, we tend to be held captive by is fear. Fear is uh, a stronghold for many of us. Whether it's a fear for our own lives, fear for our well-being, as we're coming out of this, this pandemic season, there was a lot of fear, and probably still is, about this virus, this things going on, and what's going to happen, how it's going to transmit, how it's going to morph into something else. There's been a lot of, of fear, and, and if not from that, then there's a plenty of other things that just conjure up. And, and what fear does, it, it, it holds us and, and prevents us from doing the things that God has called us to do. It makes us doubt ourselves. It's the way that the enemy comes in that tries us prevent, to prevent us from making, uh, giving glory to God the way he rightly deserves. For, from us doing what God has called us to do in order to uh, build his kingdom and to tell the good news to those who need to hear it. Feel, fear just makes us stop in our tracks. When I was a kid, one of the things that uh, I remember very vividly being afraid of, for some reason, I, uh, I probably snuck off and did this, but watching the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Freddy Krueger. So I watched this movie as a kid, and um, all of a sudden, I am scared to death to go downstairs in the basement because Freddie's down there, you know, and, and I wasn't going to try to look under my bed because, you know, Freddie was going to be there too. I enjoyed the movie, and it was a weird phenomenon for me because I enjoyed the movie, but it scared me to death. And it kind of still does today, if I'm honest with you. But I knew this fear was irrational, and, but still I'm turning on all the lights as I'm going down in the basement, and I'm looking around, and, and I knew as soon as I turned the light off, Freddie would just appear, so I would turn the light off and bolt up the steps. <laughs> fear makes us do some really strange strange things. And as I look at the trajectory of my life, and I even feel this to some extent now, uh, as, as I start to learn new things or, or have new opportunities or whatever it is, uh, there, there's a fear holding me, but w- what if I'm not good enough? What, what if I'm not going to be able to do it well? What are more people going to, to think? There, there's other people that, out, that can do better with this than I can. What if I fall on my face? What, what if I mess things up for my family? What if I lose? We go on and on and on. 
this, this stuff in our head that we, this negative self-talk that we deal with is fear-based. And it, it stops us in our tracks from doing what we have been called to do. Instead of that negative self-talk, what we need to be doing is being in our Bible and to be reinforcing what God has said to us. We need to reinforce who God is and how he operates. We need to remind ourselves what God has already done in our own lives, the, the, what he's done in the lives of God's people, and remind ourselves of that truth so we can break through fear. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. My God, he never stops working. Wow, this is what we're going to look at here in our, our a book, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 25 is where we are today. And we'll see how this continues to play out in Paul's life. Throughout this last portion of the book of Acts, we, we get to see not only Paul's faithfulness to testify to the gospel, but also God's faithfulness to accomplish his purposes. God said he's going to do a thing. He, we see throughout Scripture he's been faithful to do what he says he's going to do. So Paul goes from addressing this angry mob, if you remember before, and the Jewish council in Jerusalem to standing before this Roman governor named Felix. And Paul continues his defense. We've been talking in the past few weeks about mounting the defense for the gospel, right? We're, sometimes we're going to be on offense. Sometimes we're going to be on defense. And we see Paul continuously on defense here as he meets with this new governor. Um, he, he's meeting with Felix, and then uh, now today he's meeting with Festus. So meanwhile, while he's having these meetings, there's another plot to ambush and murder Paul, hoping to prevent him from getting to Rome where he is going to stand trial. Look with me in your copy of God's Word. Acts chapter 25, we're going to start here in verse 1. And here God's Word reads, Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning to ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of the authority among you uh, go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about this man, let them bring charges against him. I'm going to pause there because so, we're seeing here that, that God is continuously working behind the scenes. I love that we, we sang that song because now it's reverberating through everything that we're going to see in our text this morning. Even if you don't see it, he's working. Even if you don't feel it, he's working. God is continuing to work through these things that's going on in Paul's life. And it doesn't matter for you how bad things are, or how dire things get, or how bad the circumstances seem to be. We can't forget that God is in control. We cannot forget that he is the one in control. All this stuff may seem chaotic to us as finite beings and who can't see past uh, the, the, our next step, but God sees it all. Not only sees it all, he's in control of it all. 
when you hear me say that God is sovereign. It means that he has absolute authority. He has unrestricted power. This is what sovereign means. The scripture tells us that God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing. If, if you look in Psalm 147, verse 5, it says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. That we can't even try to measure. We can't even try to think of how uh, abundant he really is. We, we can't fathom the infinitude of his power. God also exists outside of time. Psalm 90 and 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, for everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's, that's the, the, the magnitude of the God that we serve. And then let me remind you about how Mary, the mother of Jesus, describes God's sovereignty in, in her song. In Luke 1 and 51, it says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. We cannot forget the magnitude of our God, how sovereign he is, that he is always and ultimately in control and not us, not anybody else. As bad as things might seem, he is always in control. Let's look back at verse 6. It says, After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought up. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go to Jerusalem and there be tried on the charges before me? And Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done nothing wrong as you yourself know very well. If, if I am a wrongdoer, and have committed anything for which I deserve to die. I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to be to their charges against me, no one can give, give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered to, to Caesar, you have appealed. To Caesar, you will go. So here Festus gives Paul an audience to address his accusers and face them. And I want you to notice here, as he goes and he's about to speak, I want you to know how they try to intimidate my man. They, they, they circle around him, probably put, puff their chests out and, and just to make him back down. It says, when he arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem. They stood around him, bringing many serious charges against them. They, they really wanted to affect him and intimidate him to back down. Clearly, Paul hadn't done anything wrong, so he argues that he shouldn't have to stand before them in Jerusalem. And, and Festus himself, he knows that these charges were bogus. Paul declares uh, his right as a human citizen, as a, a Roman citizen, to, to go and have his trial in Rome. And so Paul makes it clear that neither he nor Christianity 
as a whole is guilty of going against the Roman Empire for which he was being accused of. But Paul makes it clear he's not afraid to die, though. Like, if, 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 you're, if this is going to be my future, so be it. This is what I'm going to do. In his commentary on this, A.W. Tozer said, uh, not death, but sin should be our great fear. That is what we should be thinking about as we go through our life. Not death, but sin. Paul highlights this when he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He knew what awaited him should he pass on from this life. And in fact, that's something that he kind of looked forward to, and I don't blame him, to be in Abraham's bosom. The reason Paul was able to be effective in his ministry because he had no fear. He knew and understood the God that he served. He understood how uh, the authority that God has. He understood the magnitude of this authority. You know people like this, people who just have no fear? They just go and just do stuff and get it done. Sometimes I wonder if, if it's just a lack of fear or a lack of intelligence because they're just going out just to do stuff. I'm like, me, I like to think, of, sometimes I think about things too long, but I'm like, man, how could you do something like that? Just, just throw, abandon away and just go out. And, like people that jump out of airplanes, I don't get this. I don't understand. Like, what, what, what would propel you to do something to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? But these folks have no fear. For us here in Bolingbrook, we're, we're under no uh, threat of being put to death for sharing the gospel. Praise God for that. Here in Bolingbrook, we're able to come to this place. We're able to tune in online and to, to listen to God's word be preached and to be able to sing our praises and worship our God without any fear of anybody coming after us. And we should praise God for that. Let's not take that for granted. But when it comes to us talking to people about Jesus, uh, we don't do so because I think we're afraid. Well, my question to you is, what are you afraid of? We already know and have established, hopefully, that we are not under, we have no fear of persecution, no fear of death. If you were to tell your neighbor about Jesus Christ, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of an awkward conversation? Or are you afraid of hurting somebody's feelings? Or are you afraid of not knowing what to say? All the meanwhile, we have missionaries who put their total and complete dependence on God and they go into remote areas so that they can share the gospel. These remote areas that are cut off from the world where witch doctors still exist and all these other kind of things and they go and throw caution to the wind because they serve somebody who is greater than their fears. These people put their total trust in God regardless of the outcome. I mentioned uh, my friend Michael Bird, who is, who is uh, you know, featured in this, this prayer guide for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And I, and I love this brother because um, he planted a church 
in St. Louis um, that's high poverty, that's high crime, and, and mostly single parent households. And this is an area where you have a one in 50 chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime. One in 50. And if that's not enough, there's a one in 22 chance that you will be a victim of property crime. This is not a safe place. It's not a comfortable place where Pastor Bird went with his family to go plant this church. Instead of moving away from this neighborhood like I did, he moved into this place. Why? Why did he do this? Like I said, these people that are, have no fear, I wonder, well, why did he do this? He's quoted as saying in this handout, all people have the same heart condition in small towns and in big urban centers. We all need the same Jesus. That's why he did it. That's why he's doing what he's doing. Because he cares for those people. I love when I get to, to, to see Michael and get a chance to talk to him because he just talks with, with so much joy in his heart because he has a heart for God's people. For him, it's more important that he help them come to saving faith than for him to be comfortable. That matters more to him in his life and his family as well. We contextualize this, surely we can tell our neighbors about Jesus. Surely we can go and share the gospel with our friends. Surely as we're having a conversation, even with the barista at Starbucks or the person bagging your groceries, we can say something about Jesus, even a God bless you or something. Surely we can do that. So here in our text, as Paul mounts his defense, Festus has no uh, choice but to grant his wishes and to send him to Caesar. Paul's like, look, I, I haven't done anything. This is, this is my right as a Roman citizen, and this is what I'm asking you to do. So let's pick up in verse 13. It says, now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice uh, arrived in Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the king, chief priests and the elders and the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for the sentence to be con condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accuser face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense according to the charge laid against him. So when they had uh, to came together, I made no delay, but to the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up and they brought no charges in this case of such evils as I suppose, rather they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. But at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem, and he tried to uh, be tried there uh, regarding them. But Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, 
and I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So as we see this kind of play out in our mind's eye, we see a King Agrippa. Now, Agrippa was the son of Herod, who killed uh, James and imprisoned Peter. And his great uncle was Herod Antipas, who uh, was the Herod that we read about in the Gospels. And then there was Herod the Great that ruled at the time that Jesus was born. Here, Festus, he knew that Agrippa was familiar with the uh, politics that went on about the day, and he knew that Agrippa was familiar with the Jewish type of uh, disputes, and so he asked for some advice, like, hey, I, these are all the things that happened. This is what went down. I don't really know how to handle this, so what say you? How should I handle this situation? And since Agrippa wanted to hear what Paul had to say, Paul gets this tremendous opportunity. Again, look at God working. Paul gets this tremendous opportunity to talk to a human king about our eternal king. Man, what an audience that is. It's like us being able to have an audience with the president to be able to share the gospel with the president. Man, wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? In Acts 9 and 15, we see God tell him this is going to happen. In Acts 9 and 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And God is just faithful to see his plans through. He told him way before what was going to happen, how it was going to happen. And here, here we are seeing it play out right before our eyes. Look with me in verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and circumstance, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who were present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not live any longer. But I found that he has done nothing deserving of death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definitive to, to write about my Lord about him. Therefore, I brought him before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have ex examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So here, just as Jesus promised, Paul is going to be able to testify before the Gentiles and kings. And Jesus also told the other disciples that he would give them the words to speak. If we look back in Luke 21 and 12, it says, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and, and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. She's like, don't worry about it. 
Don't, don't even think about what you're going to say and have to prepare this, this long speech or if they say this and I got to say that and what if they ask me this and I don't know. No. Lord said, I got you. I, I will give you a mouth. I will give you wisdom to say what needs to be said. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It's that simple. What's amazing through all this is that we continuously see God accomplishes his goals, accomplish his agenda through Paul's life. And, and again, this is not some, uh, there's not all these things that happen, these miraculous things that are taking place. There's no burning bushes or anything like that. He's, he's using these worldly things and orchestrating them in a way to accomplish his goals, to accomplish his needs. The lesson for us is that we need to give a defense for the gospel. And when we do, Jesus is with us. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. And again, like I just read, you don't even have to think about or prepare for what you're going to say because the Lord is going to give you what to say and how to say it. We just need to rely on him as we proclaim the good news, not in our own strength, but in his. Later, Paul reflects on God's sovereignty in his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians 1 and 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Even in a Roman prison cell, the gospel reached people that it wouldn't have reached otherwise. Paul gets it. Paul understands it's because of these things. Now, I'm not comfortable. I mean, he's in stocks and chains in some places. He wasn't able to go home. He wasn't able to do the things that he wanted to do. I mean, it wasn't easy. But he's still, because I'm able to suffer in this way, God's word is being proclaimed and people are coming to know Christ and that's what's important. That's what matters. Not my comfort, but their saving grace. Brothers and sisters, just like Paul, Jesus has saved us and sent us into the world to proclaim the good news. We have the same goal and mission that Paul had. And I'm not saying you, you're going to be in prison for it, but you might. I, I'm not saying it's, I'm definitely not saying it's going to be comfortable for you or, or people are going to get upset or maybe. Or people's feelings are going to get hurt or they're going to get uncomfortable. Maybe. But it's worth it. Not only worth it for you as you walk in obedience to God, but it's worth it for them. Because even though they're uncomfortable in that moment, it's like walking around with a pebble, pebble in your shoe. You just keep thinking about it. Like, oh my, what is going on? You know how that is? And you keep walking on it. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. You can't ignore it. 
You can just keep walking. Well, I don't have time to pull my shoe off right now, but maybe it'll just go away or it'll move to the side of my shoe where I don't feel it anymore. And it doesn't. That's what people hear the gospel. That's the way it affects them. You can't forget it. And maybe they don't come to Christ when you're having that conversation with them right then. But they just, it just keeps coming back like that. They can't ignore it. And somebody else comes along, reinforces it. Somebody else comes along and reinforces it. So they might know the God of the universe. They might know that the free gift available to them through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. It's the only thing that matters. Matthew 28 and 18. You all should know this. Jesus came to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Not stay. Your version doesn't say stay, does it? It doesn't say stay and sit in your pew. I'm just making sure I'm on the right version. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. It, it doesn't stop there, right? I've got to make sure that I'm reading the right version. It doesn't stop at baptizing, right? It says, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And then it says, you, I'm going to leave you alone, and you're going to do it by yourself. So, no. <laughs> it says, and behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. What are you afraid of? If, if Jesus is on your side, what is there to be afraid of? If Jesus is there and is going to put the words in your mouth to say what you need to say and how you need to say it, what is there to be afraid of? Even if you suffer and be a little uncomfortable, eternity is the goal. To be with him forever and eternity. We are saved so that we could tell the world about the one who would open their eyes. The one who would bring people from darkness to light. The one who forgives sin. The one who adopts strangers and gives them an inheritance that we can never dream or imagine of. That's what we have to look forward to.